Well, good morning. You guys doing okay? Man, that's uh, really excited to, to launch that. Uh, what's crazy is as I was watching that video, I had two observations. Observation number one, Frontline South did not get a cathedral this last year. Everybody else seemed to get one of those. That's okay though, I still like our building. Observation number two is, isn't it crazy that we went from having uh, four congregations, three of us renting our spaces, to now uh, all four of us have permanent bases of mission. And just like they, yeah, you can cheer and celebrate that. We're excited. The, the, the reason why a building is a big deal is not because of the building. It's a big deal because it's a slice of our city where we can be a base for loving God, loving people, and pushing back darkness. It's a, it's a big deal because we get to live on mission as the people of God in our city, and, and those places are bases of mission. So uh, if you want to jump in, you can find more information. There's a pamphlet out in our lobby that will tell you how to give, where to go. Uh, you, can, you can go to frontlinechurch.com slash missional movement and get more information about how to engage this. But man, let's engage this as a church. They sacrificially helped us move in here. Now let's sacrificially help them uh, do what they need to do to keep reaching people in downtown OKC. Uh, the second thing I want to tell you before we jump in is next week we're kicking off a new series called American Gods. Uh, really excited about that series. We're going to do a standalone today, uh, kind of talking about mission. But then next week, we're going to be in American Gods. And this series is basically, if you think that America has become more secular, and it has, um, and now people are, are not religious anymore. Uh, back in the day, they used to believe in Zeus and Artemis and all these other gods. Um, today, we've kind of evolved past that. We don't believe in uh, those types of gods anymore. We're not religious anymore. This is our take at blowing that idea up and saying that we're actually as religious as we've ever been in 2018. Our gods are, are different now. Uh, we don't worship Zeus, we don't worship Artemis, but now we worship money and sex and technology and a host of gods that culture ho holds out to you. So uh, this is a great series, by the way. If you have friends that are far from God, uh, skeptical friends, friends that are doubters, friends that are uh, kind of interested in Christianity but maybe are turned off, whatever it might be, uh, it'd be a, a great series to have them. So uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Go to Luke 24. We're just going to jump right in today. Luke 24 is where we're going to start, and then we're going to kind of bounce around and be all over the place uh, as we look at what we're talking about. And while you're turning there, let me just say, if you're here and you're a doubter or you're a skeptic or you're not sure what you believe or sure you don't believe, we're, we're glad that you made it today and uh, we want this to be a space where you can actually wrestle with the claims of Christianity. So thanks for being with us. Um, when, when you pulled into our parking lot, you saw on our sign, it says Frontline, and then right below it, it says a church for the city. It's a really big deal for us, a church for the city. Uh, if you ask, what's our mission? Our mission as a church is to love God and love people and push back darkness. We actually want to multiply gospel communities to, to do those things, to love God, love people, and push back the darkness. But it's so crazy. In my, in my 11 plus years of doing ministry in Oklahoma, I've never one time, except for last week, had someone sit down and ask me, hey, what is your vision and your church's vision for reaching our city with Jesus and living on mission. I've had people sit down and ask a lot of questions like, uh, what style of music do you do? Or, um, you know, why, why do you have it so loud? Or, you know, whatever. Like, you know, complaining about the carpet. Or I've had people uh, ask questions about stuff like that. Or, hey, um, when are you going to start this hobby horse ministry that I really want? Or whatever. I've had a lot of people over the years ask those questions, but never one time until last Sunday or, or last week have I had someone sit me down and say, hey, I, as, a, as a member of your church, I'm just curious, what's your vision for reaching your city with the good news of Jesus and living on mission. 
It's the best question that anybody could ever ask, and I want to take today and frame that question up and and answer that question. Now, here's what today's going to look like. I'm going to give you a very brief theology of mission, right, Uh, and show you why this is a big deal for us and why we have it on our sign that we want to be a church for this city, and then in a little bit, uh, Sean Evans is going to come. Pastor Sean's going to give us uh, a vision for practically how do we do this, an idea of how we want to help empower you to live on mission. So um, here's here's what I want to tell you. Here's what I want to try to frame up. Mission is not something that the Bible just talks about. Mission is what the Bible is all about. That's a big that's a big statement because the Bible has a lot of topics. It talks about marriage and it talks about singleness and it talks about raising kids. Um, But it's not true to say that the entire Bible is about marriage or the whole Bible is actually about singleness or The whole Bible is about parenting. It's not true to say that, but what I want to tell you is that mission is not just uh, something the Bible talks about as a topic, but mission is what the Bible is all about. It's what the Bible uh, is undergirding for us. Mission pervades everything in the Bible, and mission frames up for us why the Bible is such a big story and why it matters to our lives today. So don't take my word for it. I actually want to take you to Luke 24, and I want you to hear the words of Jesus on this, because Jesus is going to say some stuff in Luke 24 that I think is, is pretty shocking for how we think of our lives, whether you're a Christian or not. So Luke 24. Now last week, we looked at this and we talked about uh, the resurrection reality of Luke 24, but today we're going to talk about the missional reality of Luke 24. So let, let, let me show it to you. Here's what it says in verse 44. Then he said to them, This is Jesus talking. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. In other words, Jesus is saying, uh, I'm talking about the Old Testament. That was Jesus' Bible of his day. So he's saying, I want you to think about the Old Testament. Verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, verse 46, and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I'm sending the promise of my Father upon you but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Here's what Jesus is doing in Luke 24, and it's incredible. He's shaping the way that he wants you and I to read the Bible. He's actually shaping the way that we read and approach Scripture. Uh, Theologians call this a hermeneutic. Jesus is giving us uh, a hermeneutic for how to read and approach the Bible. And what's so crazy about this is there are two things that he says that just, I did not grow up hearing, and I grew up in church. Uh, The first thing is that the whole Bible is all about Jesus. So whether you grew up in church or not, chances are most of us kind of grew up thinking that the Bible was like God's 66 greatest hits, right? And and it's just a, a list of heroes that you and I should aspire to be like. Now, if you read the story carefully, that's gonna shock you because these heroes are actually, let me let the cat out of the bag, they're really terrible jacked up people that you do not wanna emulate in your life. Right? So growing up, it was like, King David, he's the hero. Um, be bold and courageous and face your giants like King David. And that's all well and good until you read the rest of the story and you're like, oh, so be like the guy that slept with someone that wasn't his wife, got her pregnant, and then orchestrated the murder of her husband, Uriah, to cover up the sin that he did so that nobody else would find out. 
So which part of his life am I supposed to emulate? And, and the whole idea, what Jesus is saying is, the stories in the Bible, in the Old Testament, are not these stories of heroes that we should aspire to be like. These are stories of, of all these men and women, broken and flawed, pointing to someone much better and much more needed, Jesus. So King David, yeah, he, he was a jacked up guy, man after God's own heart, but a lot of baggage. His stories pointing to the story of a better king, King Jesus. That blew my mind when I first realized that and changed the way I approached scripture. But a lot of us, we stopped there. It's like, yeah, I got it. Jesus is what the Bible's all about. I'm good. But Jesus says something else in Luke 24 that's almost as shocking, if not, if not more shocking. He says, it's not just a book about me, but it's also a book about mission. Look at what he says in verse 46. Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins, what? Should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So it's not just a book about Jesus, but he's saying it, it was written about me, and it was also written that the story of me would be heralded and proclaimed in the whole world. Mission would go forward, and the Old Testament is about that as well. So what I, what I want to do with you today is just take a few minutes and just unpack a, a theological vision of the mission of God and what you and I are being called and invited to live inside of. So just four things that I want you to see real briefly. The, the first two things that I want you to see are places, and the second two things that I want you to see are people. So here's the first thing I want you to see. I want you to see Eden, the place of Eden as the origin of God's mission for humanity. Now, don't, don't worry about following me here, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you to Genesis, and we're gonna kind of go throughout uh, the, the different parts of the Old Testament. So here's what's happening that's just so mind-blowing and so incredible. When you and I tend to think of mission, maybe we think of Matthew 28. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you think mission is something that comes at the end of the story, and what I want to tell you is that mission actually is something that starts on page one of your Bible in Genesis. And here's the way it starts. It's not our mission. It starts with God on a mission. What is his mission? Since day one of creation, God has been on a mission to basically bless and dwell with humanity. That's been God's mission. He wants to bless you, and he wants to dwell with you. That has been the, the heartbeat of God since page one of your scriptures. Now, I said this last week, but I don't know if, I don't know if all of you caught this, because this is kind of a, a concept that will blow your categories up a little bit. When we think of heaven and earth, we often think of these two separate spaces. Heaven, well, that's where God lives, way far away, somewhere up in the sky. That's where God dwells. The earth, that's where we live. That's where humans dwell and where we live out our days. But in the beginning, there wasn't this giant separation between heaven and earth. In the beginning, God actually created and designed the earth to be the place where he would dwell with humanity. They were actually more united than what we think. Heaven was dwelling, in a sense, on the earth. And what God was doing here is saying, I want to be with you. I want to know you, and I want you to know me, and I want to bless you, and I want to give you life, and I want to give you fullness, and I want to give you peace, and I want you to experience this right relationship between me and you and everything else. That's what God designed. 
And in the middle of the Garden of Eden, this, this space, if you will, where the presence of God would dwell to bless people and to be with people, he created Adam and Eve inside of this garden. And what's so fascinating about Adam and Eve is that when he creates them in his image, he actually calls them to participate in his mission, to bless the earth and to fill it with the presence of God. So let me just read this to you. This is in Genesis 1, 28. This is the very first words. These are the very first words that God speaks to humanity. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God blessed them and he says, I want you to fill the earth and I want you to rule over the earth. Now, th this changes the way we think of the story because in my kids' books uh, growing up in church, the way this story was presented is like there's some naked people in a garden and they're kind of sitting around in a hammock uh, sipping mimosas. That part wasn't in the story. I just added that, right? Uh, and that's how I thought of Adam and Eve. And it's like, man, I want to go back to that. I want to go back to being naked, drinking cocktails, just chilling. And that's kind of our vision of if sin hadn't messed things up, that's what we'd all be doing. Um, but he here's what's so crazy is that's not the, the story. They had a giant task. They had a big job. And here was their job. God said, I want you in this garden, but I want you, don't stay here. I want you to go into the whole world. And I want you to rule over the world and I want you to fill the world, and I want you to multiply and, and be about my name and my glory and bring my fullness and my blessing into the world. In other words, take this Garden of Eden and expand it and see it multiplied over the whole earth. That's kind of a giant task, right? Don't just stay here hanging out, but go into the world and multiply my presence and my blessing. Theologians have, have called this the cultural mandate. Go, create culture, design, build build cities, do art, write music, uh, build relationships, all uh, filling the earth with my blessing and with my presence. That's God's heart in Genesis chapter one. And it had this local aspect to it. Do this in the garden, but it also had a global aspect. And go out of the garden, do this in the entire world. All right, so that's, that's the, the mission that God has been on. I wanna bless humanity and I want them to dwell with me. I wanna dwell with them. And then God invites humanity into the same mission. Go into the world and be a blessing and, and bring my presence and my love to the world. Now here's the problem. You know the story, but in Genesis chapter three, uh, Adam and Eve choose to reject the mission of God, and instead of doing what he had called them to do, they live in sin, and they bring sin into the world, and that fractures and breaks apart humanity. And what happens between Genesis chapter 3 and Genesis chapter 11, there's this downward spiral into chaos and corruption and decay that sin and death bring into the world. Things go from beautiful and perfect and shalom to devastation and sin and brokenness and, and the, the evil of this world starts to affect the way the story goes. In fact, in Genesis 4, it's like Cain and Abel uh, happen and Cain kills his brother Abel and then all these murders start to happen and then sexual brokenness breaks out and it goes from bad to worse to worse to worse. Eventually, God has to flood the earth and start over with a family named Noah and then this story of evil and destruction and chaos, listen to this, it culminates not with the flood, but in Genesis chapter 11, with the building of a tower. And this is the second thing that I want you to see. I want you to see Babylon as the counter mission of the world. Eden 
This was the origin, the beginning of the mission of God. Genesis 11, this is Babylon, the counter mission of God. Some of you don't realize that this building of the Tower of Babel uh, was actually in the heart of Babylon, and I'll unpack that in just a minute. But listen to the mantra of these people as they separate themselves from God and they start to uh, isolate themselves from God and build an identity apart from Him. This is in Genesis 11:4. Then they said, all of humanity said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. Now, did you catch this? They're saying, let's make a name for us, not God. Let, let's build ourselves a city, not a city for the dwelling of God and the goodness of God and the blessing of God. Let's not go into the whole world. Let's stay. Let's, let's gather here and let's, let's not do what God has asked us to do. In other words, what's happening in Genesis 11 is the absolute antithesis to the mission of God in the world. God, he's saying, go into the world. Build culture, beauty and art and relationship and bring my blessing and my, my, my heart and my love into the world. Bring my presence into the world. But what everyone does at Babylon is they reject that mission and they say, you know what, we're fine. We want to build our name not for you but for ourselves and we don't want to go into the whole world. We want to stay and we don't want this to be a city where the king is. We want it to be a kingdom without the king and we're going to do whatever we want to do and define what is good and right for ourselves. Now here's what's so crazy about Babylon. Uh, the story goes that they all get dispersed anyway, even though that was the thing they were trying to avoid. And what happens in the Bible is that idea of Babylon, it's more than a physical place on the map. It becomes this, this reference, it becomes the symbol for any human culture, any system of the world, structure of the world, that is in opposition to the mission of God. Anyone that's saying, you know what, we're fine. We don't want God. We want ourselves. We don't want the presence of God. We don't want the king, but we do want the kingdom, and we're going to build ourselves a city and a neighborhood and a lifestyle without you. And Babylon, from start to finish, it even shows up in the book of Revelation at the very end, is this city, this people, this culture that stands as a counter mission to God and all that he is. That's what Babylon is. So here's, here's where this connects to your life in 2018. Babylon is in the city of Moore, isn't it? Babylon's in South OKC. Babylon exists in Norman. Babylon exists in our hearts. It's where we say, God, we don't want you. We want our name, our lifestyle, our stuff, our coffee shops, our malls, our Amazon, our stuff without you. We're doing just fine. We want to build a name for ourselves. Now, here's what's so bizarre in this story. This is humanity at their worst. Not even at the fall. This is at their worst. In absolute opposition to the mission of God, they've created this counter mission where they're building a city to themselves to their own glory. How does God respond to humanity when they fall into this rebellion? Well, here's the third thing I want you to see, and it's not a place. Now I want you to see a people. Israel as God's new mission. Here's what God does in the middle of darkness and brokenness and chaos of sin as he steps in and he finds this random guy named Abraham, who is, by the way, living, guess where? Babylon. He's living in Babylon. And God comes to this man in Babylon named Abraham who's worshiping other gods, and God says these words in chapter 12 of Genesis. Look at this. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, leave Babylon, 
and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And look at these words. I will bless you. And I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Did you hear a word repeated there a lot? Blessing, blessed, I'll bless, I'll bless. So the reader, it's like, the author's like, dear reader, the big concept here is blessing. Now, where did we first hear these words that God blessed someone? Genesis chapter one with Adam and Eve. God blessed them and he said, go and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and rule it and bring my presence and my blessing to the world. They failed, so now he comes to Abraham. He says, two commands. I want you to leave Babylon, go. You gotta get out of Babylon and then here's the second thing I want you to do. I want you to be a blessing to the world. And through you and your descendants, I'm going to bless the whole world. In other words, what God is saying is, don't live like Babylon anymore. Now I want you to live like you were living in Eden before sin entered the world. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring my presence and my blessing into the world. That's what I want you to do now. I'm calling you out on mission. And so Abraham, he does. He leaves. And this is what he does. And, and he very quickly, well, not very quickly, it actually takes a long time, but he starts to have lots of babies. Like many of you, he just keeps multiplying and multiplying and multiplying, and it's like someone kicked over a baby anthill, just babies running everywhere, and then eventually they turn into uh, the people of Israel. And we know the story. They get in captivity in Egypt, and, and then they get pulled out of Egypt. And here's what's, here's what's so crazy about this story of redemption. They go from death to life, crossing over the Red Sea. And God, he brings them to himself. And he, again, says, you're my people. Go, I want you to be a blessing. Let, let me just read this to you. This is in Exodus 19. Right after this greatest act of redemption in the Old Testament, God speaks these words to his people. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel." Two ideas I want you to see out of this. God says, two, two, there's a lot of things he says here, but two things that I want you to notice. He says, I'm making you into a holy nation. That's what I want you to be, a holy nation. Not like Babylon. Babylon is this unholy nation that's living in opposition to me. You are gonna be my chosen people, and I want you to be a holy nation. In fact, he gave them all these these commands to set them apart so that they would live differently and live a countercultural lifestyle against the opposition of the world. So what's so crazy about this is God is saying, if you'll keep these laws, I will bless you and you will actually be a blessing to the other surrounding nations. You'll actually uh, bring my presence and my, my peace to them. You'll bless them. And then here's the other thing he says to them. I want you to be not just a holy nation, but a kingdom of priests. What is a kingdom of priests? A priest is someone who stands before God and humanity, kind of in between, speaking the truth of God to the people and then bringing the sins of the people to God and inter, inter, uh, interacting with that and interceding for them. And Basically, it's saying, here's the presence of God, here's the blessing of God. That's what a priest does. And what God is saying is, I don't want just one or two or a few priests. I want you guys to be a kingdom of priests. That's how you relate to the world. That's how you re relate to these surrounding nations. Now, here's the point. God was saving Israel to turn them into this counter-cultural people 
to carry out his mission in the world. What was his mission? From day one, I want to bless the world. I want to fill the world with my presence. But instead of doing that, Israel, as you know, they fail dramatically. They're like us. Like, they just fail dramatically. They can't keep the rules. They keep sinning. They keep rebelling. They keep falling into sin. I mean, right after God spoke these words, they're like worshiping other gods, and they run after all these other gods, and eventually what happens to the people of Israel, they start to look just like all the other pagan nations around them. They're no longer a holy nation. They're not functioning like a kingdom of priests. Instead of looking like Eden before the fall, they look like Babylon in the height of its rebellion against God. How does God respond to this situation? What does he do? Does he just kind of throw up his hands and go, I'm done with these people. I'm done with this world. I can't do this anymore. Now what he does is fascinating. This is the last thing I want you to see. Jesus steps into the darkness and the chaos and he carries out the mission of God. He makes the mission of God possible. Here's what Jesus does. This is bizarre. Instead of Jesus kind of coming to the people that had it all together, that lived in the light and kept the rules, Jesus comes into the heart of our rebellion and our darkness and our sin. And he comes not to crush us, not to shame us, not to push us out, but Jesus comes to bring God's blessing to humanity. And instead of actually being like a representative of God or being a priest, Jesus is more than that. He is God himself coming to humanity to give of himself to bless us and bring the presence of God back to the earth. In fact, in John 1, it says that he came to dwell among us. That word means like set up a temple or a tabernacle among us. I'm, I'm bringing heaven back to earth. I'm repairing what you lost at the fall. I'm bringing you my, my blessing and my presence. And so what Jesus does is bizarre. He finds everywhere where uh, sin and the curse had been unleashed. And he goes to those spaces and he begins to unleash blessing as quickly as sin had been unleashed. So he finds someone that has uh, a disease, and he says, you know what, in the kingdom of God there are no sicknesses, and he heals that person of their disease. He finds someone that's dead, and in and, and the kingdom of God there's only blessing, and there's only life, so he raises the person from the dead. He finds someone that is, is broken by sin and marred by the internal shame that they feel, and he goes to that person, and he loves them in profound ways like they've never been loved. He finds those who are on the fringe and isolated and the poor, and he's giving of himself. What Jesus does is everywhere where sin had been unleashed, he begins to quickly unleash his blessing on the world, bringing back the presence of God. And then what Jesus does, and, and kind of the culmination of his earthly ministry, he goes to the cross. And on the cross, what Jesus does is he doesn't just bless humanity, he absorbs the curse of sin in his own body on the tree. And Jesus dies there in our place to not just forgive you and I, he does that, but to make right all that we made wrong in our world. And what Jesus does is he reconciles us to himself and our world back to himself, and he rises from the dead and he says, I've given you a new identity, and I've filled you with the Spirit, and I'm calling you now on mission. So here's what I want you to hear, Matthew 28, Go into all the world, make disciples. That's not the beginning of the story of mission. That's like the very end of the story of mission. Are you following me? Right? He's saying, now that I've done all of this, I'm inviting you into it too. And here's what Peter does. He picks up on this reality, and he says something profound in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. He talks to the church, and this is how he speaks to us, if you're a follower of Jesus. But you are a chosen race and a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. Does that sound familiar? He's literally quoting Exodus 
All right, God redeemed you out of Egypt. He brought you from darkness to life. All right, I've brought you out of real darkness into light, and I've given you real life when you were only in death. Here's your new identity. You are a chosen race and a royal priesthood and a holy nation and a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Listen, here's what the point is. To be a Christian is to be brought into this grand story of the mission of God. This Bible is not just a book about Jesus, and it is, praise God for that. But this is a book about God's intentions to make right what we put wrong on our earth and to bring heaven back to the earth and to unleash blessing where the curse exists and to unleash his presence where darkness and decay exists. That's why we say that we want to be a church for the city. That's why we say that we want to multiply gospel communities, a holy nation, right, a a royal priesthood that loves God and loves people and pushes back darkness because that's what God has been up to since day one. So what does this mean for us? It means that you and I, whether you're a follower of Jesus, whether you're religious or irreligious, you're always living under a mission. All of you are living on mission right now. Some of you are living under the mission of Babylon and saying, I'm gonna build a name for myself, the American dream. I'm gonna get as much money as I can and house and possessions and stuff and I'm going to build a world and a life without God. I'm going to make a name for me. So some of you are adamantly about the mission of Babylon, this, this anti-mission, this, this, mis- this mission that's going against everything that God created you for. Some of us, if you've been brought into Jesus, you're invited now to not live in Babylon's mission, but to live in this new mission of God. It's been his mission since day one to bring the blessing of God and the presence of God into the world. So if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're here today, the, the invitation is for you to make a conscious, um, a, kind of be aware and, and take an internal, internal um, dialogue, if you will, with yourself of just saying, what does it look like for me to live on mission, the mission of the world? And if you see that present in your life and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to ask you, number one, how's that working out for you? And number two, do you realize that Jesus is inviting you into a better story? He's inviting into his story. He's inviting you into something much bigger that you actually crave at the deepest core of who you are, whether you realize it or not. And it's of grace. You don't have to try hard. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to deserve it. He's just inviting you to come as you are. And if you are a Christian, just a few things that I want you to see. I want you to start to see the mission of God as his mission before it's our mission. And here's what I mean. Don't think of God up in heaven going, man, I hope that's working out for you guys as y'all live on mission. I hope you're carrying out my mission really well. And then he's just kind of evaluating us from heaven. No, this has been his mission since day one, and he's the one driving it. He's the one all about it. We are just joining him in his work in our world. Here's the second thing I want you to see. Don't reduce mission to evangelism or international missions. It, it is that. It's nothing less than that. But it's so much more than just simply telling people about Jesus and going overseas. That's a big deal, and we need people to do that, and you should be doing that. 
but mission is also the way that you engage your world on a day-to-day basis. Mission is every time that you find the curse of sin and the brokenness of our world and you bring the presence and the love of Jesus to those spaces. It affects the way we engage ethics and uh, the economy and politics. It affects the way that we engage marriage and singleness and our sex life. It affects the way that we approach money and possessions and stuff and your job. All of life now is a life of mission, and you can either live for the mission of Babylon or you can live for the mission of God. That's the invitation.